So morning, I'm going to do something I've never done before. Okay? I'm going to say some things I've never said in the pulpit before. And I'm going to do some things I've never done before. Right now, every board member is starting to sweat just a little bit. Um, I've preached on all kinds of topics. I told our church here a while back, I'm excited and thrilled to serve here because I'm not afraid to preach and teach on any topic. I have taught on marriage, I've taught on family, I've taught on politics, I've taught on social issues from all things that you would not believe. Some people, I've said stuff that make people scared to talk about in the pulpit. I've done it before, um, and uh, it's just the way it is. I'm grateful because I'm in a church that allows me to do that as long as, as, long as it's biblical. Amen? And uh, so I'm grateful for that. So today I'm going to talk about some things that I've never talked about, and I'm going to talk about one. That's it, just one. Talk about one. Uh, you all remember that song, One is the Loneliest Number? One is the loneliest number. I was reminded of another one by Dustin Jones after the first service called Sleeping Single in a Double Bed. Y'all remember that one? I've never said that from the pulpit before. One. (laughs) Joyce is a true born-again Christian. She's never heard those songs. I strive to be like you, Joyce. One. One. You know, in our culture, uh, one isn't a very good number. Uh, it's, it's a lonely number, all of these things. Today, I want to address our singles in the room. I want to preach and speak to our singles. You want an interesting number today? Interesting number. Covington First Assembly last year in 2016 averaged on on Sundays 201 201 number average. In that number includes our children, okay? And about 35, usually between 35 to 40 uh, of that number was children from uh, babies up through Genesis Kids Church, okay? That's that's kind of an average number. Sometimes it's higher and uh, sometimes it's lower, but usually about 35. On top of that, everything else that's left, we usually average about 165 to 170 adults in the sanctuary on a Sunday between the two services. And so included in that number of 165 to 170 is our, our youth over here, our young people, and several that are, are scattered throughout with their families that are also a part of the congregation. So, so let's just say that takes the number to about 150. Between 150 to 155 in our congregation that are adults, okay? Each, any given Sunday. I counted up, folks. This, the Lord laid this on my heart a few weeks back. We were talking on a Wednesday night and uh, teaching and preaching through uh, some marital topics on 1 Corinthians. We were in there speaking about marriage and some other things. And uh, it just kind of hit me how many single folks we had in our Wednesday night service. So I got curious and I, I began to look through our directory and think of other people who maybe weren't in there. And folks, you know, in our church we have 50 plus singles, adult singles. That does not count our youth. That does not count our kids. That counts people who are, are, are really, I'm not even counting scratching for 18-year-old kids. Alyssa's going to be 18 in two months. I didn't count her, okay? I'm trying to keep her young for a little bit longer. I didn't even count people who are currently single but are moving toward marriage. 50 plus, there were over 50 adults in our church. One third of our congregation is single people. 
So I'm going to address you today. And you say, Pastor, why would I address, why would you address us today? Why would you make us feel uncomfortable? I'm not making you feel uncomfortable. I'm making everybody else feel uncomfortable. You're the ones that have had to sit through all the marriage teachings. You're the ones that have had to sit through all the family teachings and all this other stuff. And it's been uncomfortable. And bless your heart for being patient and still coming to the church and still paying your tithe anyway. So today I'm going to address you. Never done this before. I struggled with it because your pastor, I got married at 19 ripe old years of age, okay? I, I don't understand singleness. I've not had to live that lifestyle out. I've not chosen to live. Some people choose to live that lifestyle out. Others, it's become uh, something that they didn't choose. It's not something they planned, but it's something that's reality for them. Amen? And this makes up all different people in our church facing different circumstances, different situations. And we live in a culture that, that, that brings it to a negative point to act like it's a bad thing to be single. Now, some of the things I'm going to address today, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about some of the negatives and the struggles of being single. And, and the, the other things I'm going to talk about is the reality of it's not, I, I'm not up here saying that just because you're single that, that it's a bad negative thing, but there are struggles there that people need to be real, see as a reality. Amen? I've known people that have chosen the single life because they say, Pastor Bob, it's the best thing there is. I got nobody to answer to. I eat what I want, I go where I want, I go and do what I do, and whatever I do, whenever I want, however I want, I spend my own money the way I want to spend it. Nobody tells me how to spend my money. I don't have to worry about nothing. God bless you if that's you. Amen? There's nothing wrong with that. If you choose to live your life that way, it's okay. Don't let some married person come down on you and and beat you up all the time for being single. All the married people in the room right now are so uncomfortable. I'm not destroying marriage. I'm not up here saying it's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing, but we have folks sitting in our church, a third of our church that has endured many, many messages about about marriage and everything else that's never had anybody speak to them directly. So today's the day. You get at least one day, probably two, maybe three, I don't know. We may go two weeks or three. We may make every married person in this church ticked off and uncomfortable before it's over with. Are you with me, singles? Amen. Just a quick apology, though. Uh, you know, I, I do uh, apologize for unnecessarily creating uncomfortable situations. We do focus on marriage a lot. We do focus on family a lot and, and all of these things. And it is important uh, but I do apologize for ever inadvertently sending a message that an unmarried individual is somehow less than a married one. Oftentimes the church has defended marriage so much that it was unnecessarily hard on divorcees. People who have been divorced. Listen to me, folks. Uh, divorce is a reality of our culture. As a church, they... Can I just talk to you straight without my notes for a second? Right now, this is where my wife starts sweating. When I put the notes down, she's like, oh dear God, here it comes. I said this on Wednesday night a couple weeks ago. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Go ahead and say amen. It's okay. Because it's the stinking truth. And what churches have done is they've taken a scripture here and a scripture there and pulled them out of context, not knowingly and not understanding the culture at the time when it was written. And they have taken passages out of, out of the Bible and have punished divorced people for the rest of their lives. 
You can't remarry. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. God's not going to use you. Blah, 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 blah. And we have made divorced people seem like they are less than unusable, that they cannot get the stain of adult uh, adultery, the stain of, of divorce off of their lives because of their sin. Folks, that's ridiculous. Let me tell you the truth. This house right here, this church, and, and the power of Christ in the church is a life-transforming, life-saving, sin-cleansing business. Amen. And regardless of what your history is and what you have been through, my God, the one we just sang about, the Father we just sang about, the shackles that fall off that we just sang about, that God, the one that it is well with us, He loves the divorced individual. He forgives sin that caused it. He saves and brings them out and uses them. I can tell you this. I can tell you this. The only unimpardonable sin is this. is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And let me clear that up. What is that? It's attributing the works of, of, of Satan to the works of God. That's to say the working of the Holy Spirit, that's not God, that's Satan. Now you can't do that in ignorance. You can't say it on accident. You have to be aware, know the truth, and lie about the works of God for you to do it. And if you're worried, did I do that? Then you probably didn't apostate yourself toward God. You wouldn't be here if you've apostated yourself. That's the only one. But yet we treat divorce as though it's awful. And folks, I'm telling you what. Uh, we need to let it go. We need to quit biblically telling people who they are and what they've done and everything else if we don't know what the stink we're talking about. Divorce people. If you were the victim in that divorce, if you were sinned against, if you were adulterated, if you were abused, if you were hurt mentally, physically, whatever, and you had to get out of a situation because somebody else wasn't willing to repent, there is, there is hope for you. And let me just go bold enough to say this. If you were the one that committed adultery, if you were the one that lied, if you were the one that stole, if you were the one that hurt and abused mentally, physically somebody else, and because of that your marriage was dissolved because of your behavior, let me tell you something. God is able to forgive you. He's able to cleanse you. He's able to heal you. And He's able to move you on. Right? We could have somebody get up here and talk about, we could have somebody that was a former prostitute get up here and say, well, you know, this is all the things I did and, you know, God saved me and forgive me and placed me in a marriage. And we'd all be like, oh, praise God, Lord Jesus, that's awesome. But if you're a divorced person, yes. folks, we need to fix that nonsense real quick. Amen. Amen. Give God a shout of praise because that's truth. Now, I'm not minimizing divorce. God hates divorce. He don't hate divorced people. He hates broken vows. All broken vows. But He don't hate divorced people. So if you're a part of our church, forgive us if we've ever had a time where it seemed like we've been too hard on people who have been through literally, folks, hell on earth because divorce is never fun. Never met anybody that said, you know, preacher, I can't wait to get married again because, man, that divorce was awesome. <laughs> Nobody. And other times with good intentions, we've pushed you toward relationships. Can I just make a statement that made Keith Burke laugh out loud in the first service? <laughs> Keith Burke's one of our, our young single guys, and we just laughed about it afterwards. But I, 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 forgive us old married people because we're ignorant. Not ignorant, ignorant. Why? Because it's wonderful for us. Marriage is a wonderful thing for me and my wife. I'm blessed in it, but for some reason it's wrong for me uh, to go to somebody else and force on them what's best for us. 
You know, single people, young, especially young single people, you know what they get sick of hearing? When are you going to find you a good woman? When are you going to find yourself a good man and just settle down? They look at you and they're like, would you shut your trap? Because here's what happens. They smile at you, they laugh, and then they walk away, and then their heart bleeds because they think to themselves, am I not likable? Am I not lovable? Does nobody want me? Am I missing something? Listen, instead of pointing out that they're not in a relationship and they don't have somebody, what you and I need to do instead is point out the wonderful traits that are in their lives. Do you know you're a beautiful person? Do you know that you are an awesome, awesome XYZ, whatever they're good at? Instead of telling them what they're missing. Because here's the thing. They all know what they're missing if they have a desire to get married. They don't need us every week telling them. Single people, does that make any sense? They won't say amen because they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Just let me tell you it's the truth. So today I want to address one. I want to address singleness. And, and, and the message for today is this. Single people in the room, and some of you are married or sitting there saying, this doesn't really apply to me. Yes, it does. This truth applies to everybody. The difference is, is I'm coming from a different angle. I'm talking to somebody specific instead of just you. So listen and eavesdrop to my conversation to the single people. And you might learn something. Right? Everybody's uncomfortable. Why are we uncomfortable with this? You are seen and heard and loved by God. You are seen, heard, and loved by God. He knows you. He sees you. He sees your needs. And you are loved by God. As I say this, I, I look back there and I see Miss Connie who snuck in here and I gave her a hug a little bit ago. And it's so, you are seen and heard and loved by God. One of our widows here in the church. I love you and I'm glad that you're able to come and worship with us today. It's been so good to see. Folks... There are struggles. In all life, in married life, there are struggles. But I'm going to come from a single slant right now. To be a widow and to be a widower, you've had to go through some stuff. It's painful. You know, you don't ever get past the loss. You don't ever get past the loss of a spouse. I don't fully understand this. I've not seen it. I've not experienced it myself. But you may be able to learn to live day by day, but that pain and that loss will be there the rest of your life. I remember Dorothy Cunningham. I was sitting there with Dorothy, and, and, and I don't remember how old she was when her husband passed away. Linda, do you remember her last, when she was, uh, she was young, 30-something, 40-something? Yeah, she was uh, about 40. She about 40 years old, didn't marry again. And, and when I would talk to her at 90, about 50 years later, at 90, she would talk about him and tears would run down her face. Folks, that pain and that loss doesn't go away. So, so for our widows and our widowers in our church, we grasp that and we understand that. For, for our divorcees, that pain doesn't go away. The loss of a marriage, it doesn't go away. The, the children involved in between and the fighting over things, sometimes that happens, lawsuits and properties and kids and, and now it's this and now it's this and every stage of the kids, it's a new thing, whether it's school or now it's college and now it's this and, the, and, and there's always that, that issue of that, that divorce. It's a painful thing. And even for young people who just, or even middle-aged people who have chosen not to get married, there's pressure from other people saying, how come you haven't done this yet? How come you don't have a woman? How come you don't have a man? Folks, there's, that can be painful. 
So, again, I'm not standing here saying that, oh, poor, pitiful, single people. I'm just addressing some issues and letting you know that God sees you and hears you. Here's a few. Genesis chapter 16. We're going to consider Hagar. you got to love the story of Hagar. Hagar is the uh, servant of Sarai or Sarah. And, and uh, <laughs> what an account. Boy, if the Bible was really made into a movie, y'all couldn't watch it. This, this lady was just a servant girl. Abraham had promises from God. God says, I'm going to give you a son. And uh, Sarah got a bright idea and said, hey, we're too old. Why don't you sleep with my beautiful young maidservant? And Abram, at 90 years old, goes, okay. You'd think at that point he'd be past that. You don't go away, folks. But he said, okay, whatever you want to do. So he just did what his wife told him to do. And then the girl gets pregnant and Sarah's instantly mad and hates the girl for it. So then the girl wants to leave and get away. We're going to look at two accounts of her leaving. One, she leaves because her mistress hated her. And the second time she leaves because the mistress wanted her to go. And there's two accounts here that we can draw from that I think is going to hit home with some folks here today. Genesis 16, look at verse 7. This is the first time she leaves and she's on her way away from them. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. What? The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. This little lady goes out into the desert, running away from an obvious problem where she was in the right to get away from. What we can can learn from this situation for Hagar, life ain't fair, y'all. It just is not fair sometimes to do everything you were asked to do and be hated for it. You ever been there before? And then to be told to go back into the situation with a promise. She was given a promise. We're going to come back to this in a minute. Then the second time she leaves is when Sarah or Sarai at the time gets mad and says, get rid of her. I don't want to see her here. Abraham seeks God on it. He was in distress. God says, do what she says because I'm going to make your son Ishmael a great nation. Verse 14, Ishmael, what happened was Ishmael mocked. This is a great picture of family. Ishmael mocked his half-brother, and the mother of the half-brother got mad at Ishmael and kicked Ishmael and his mother out of the camp. Just like any good mother would do for their kid, right? Oh, don't tell me you ain't never been there before with the neighbor kids, because we've all been there. Verse 14. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. As she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up. 
and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew, and and he lived in the desert and became an archer. What's my message to this? My message is very simply this. Don't overread into this passage about Ishmael and his future and all that stuff. Here's the point. The point is this. She ran the first time, and where did she go? She's found by a well in a wilderness in the desert. And God gives her a promise, sends her back. The second time she leaves, she doesn't see the well, but her son's dying and is, is laying there. She left with an infant the first time. The second time she leaves with a teenage boy, hiding him under a bush and afraid that they're going to die. In both cases, the first one there was a well she looked for. The second one there was a well that God provided. And my message to you today is the single parents who are in situations where they feel jaded, where they feel cast out, where things weren't fair, where things didn't work out like they were supposed to, and it feels uncomfortable and it's not what I would have chosen for myself. God will either lead you to a spring or He will provide a spring for you. He is not judging your children because of a circumstance that was out of your control. He wants to bless them. He wants to bless you. He wants to raise you up. He will not destroy you through these things. You who are have been cast out, who have been divorced, who are separated from your spouse, who have got children you're trying to raise up. Don't give up hope. Don't think God hates you. Don't think God has turned from you. And don't think He can't bless you because He will. God hears you and He sees you in the unfortunate circumstances of life that you have not chosen for yourself. That's a really good point. Just let that soak in for a second. Secondly, John chapter 11 If you have your Bibles, you want to turn there, you can. Another example where Jesus goes and He blesses three single people. Two sisters and a brother. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Why were they single? I don't know why they were single, but they were. It appears as though they lived together in some respect, looked out for each other in another respect. And we know that Lazarus had died and we know that Jesus knew he was going to die and that Jesus said he was going to go wake him up. And <laughs> Thomas, you've got to love Thomas, tells Jesus, he said, you're going back to a dangerous situation basically. And here's his statement. He goes, you're going to go back there for Lazarus. He goes, well, we all just might as well go with him and die. You ever have one of those friends? The pessimist in the bunch that says, don't matter what you do, it's going to be awful. Jesus exposed himself. Now, I get it. We're talking about Jesus. He understood what was going to happen. But let's look at it in the natural for just a second. He left and put himself in a dangerous place for three people he loved that just so happened to be single. And the scripture says this in verse 5. And and I want to point this out because very few times in the Scripture do we see this this many uh, reflections of love that that Jesus would have for someone. Now we we see Him talk about John, the Beloved, and others. But but this is a powerful thought. Verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And then if you skip down to verse 33... When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. Everybody say deeply moved. Jesus was deeply moved at the sorrow of these precious single ladies. 
deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. See how he loved him. Jesus loved these three adults who were obviously single. I don't know how. I don't know why. I don't know if there was a, a widow involved. I don't know what happened with all these things. I just, I just don't see the connection of marriage. And, and, and as I see Jesus loving them, I see him caring for them. And you see through the scripture multiple times where Jesus is with them and they're with him in his ministry. They're with him in the house. Remember two different times where Martha's working and Mary's worshiping. Happens a couple different times. One time it's after Lazarus had been resurrected and sitting at the table. Folks, what's my point? I didn't see Jesus one time turn around to any of them and say, you know, Martha, you are so good at taking care of business around the house, you're going to make somebody a good wife someday. It's where you need to be, right there in the kitchen, darling. He didn't tell Mary, you know, now that those demons are cast out of you, some men might want you now. And he didn't tell Lazarus, quit taking care of your sisters and get a wife. I don't see it in the scripture, do you? Am I missing something? Jesus did not see Mary, Martha, and Lazarus as incomplete. He loved Lazarus enough to raise him up and bring him back from the dead to be with his sisters who Jesus loved deeply as well, and to bless them in this. My point in this, folks, is this. If you choose a single life, whether you are older, you're younger, whatever it may be, the Lord sees you, and He cares for you. I know it's a simple point. I know I get it. When it comes to widows and orphans, and James talks about that being true ministry, is the care of widows and orphans and not allowing yourself to be polluted by the world, that's not new. That's always been God. What about a godless nation of Esau who had rejected God and its people had turned away from God and so God said, I'm going to bring judgment upon the nation of Esau and then he turns around and he says this in Jeremiah 49.11, he says, I'm going to wipe out, I'm going to bring judgment on, on the descendants of Esau. Then he says this, leave your orphans, I will protect their lives, your widows too can trust in me. God says, alright, I'm, I'm kind of ticked off at everybody else. Don't, don't even bother trying to take care of your widows and orphans. Come on, wipe you out. Leave them. I'll take care of them. Widows in the room, widowers in this room, the Lord sees you. Orphans in this room, the Lord sees you. And folks, the church is expected to take care of individuals who need their assistance. And again, not that every single person needs assistance, but there are issues that come with it at times. Just like marriage has its issues. We support our married people, do we not? Do we not counsel and help? Well then for our single people, we need to be there for them. We need to support them in what they're facing. It can't just stop with widows and orphans. It's got to deal with single parents that are thrown into a bad situation. We cannot limit the ministry potential of single people in the church. And we cannot ignore the needs, whether biblical teaching, counsel, support, or helps to those who are journeying... I did this the first service too. Journeying. Why did I put journeying in my notes? I can't say journeying. Who are on a journey... Through this life. We cannot treat the divorced, the wounded, or anyone else with any kind of history 
as though it is just something they cannot move past. Thirdly, Joseph had a difficult road as a single man. He was abandoned by his family. He was sold into slavery. He was in Potiphar's house serving faithfully when a married woman tried to entrap him. And then he had integrity and got out of the situation, was still thrown in prison for it. You know what I love about Joseph? It's this. Joseph had dreams and visions for God. And they pretty much came to pass while he was single. Can I get an amen for that one? Some of us need a wife and others of us have some integrity and a life of passion and vision for God and they don't have to have a wife to be successful. Behind every great man is a what? Really? Y'all said it. Some of you said great woman. You know, there have been some great men that didn't have a great woman behind them. They just had a great passion for their Lord and Savior and obeyed and pressed forward and did what he told them to do. Can I be honest with you for a second? I, uh, I know this is hard for you to believe, but I have been wrong before. <laughs> My lips are dry. That's hard to come out. I've been wrong. Um, when I was a young man, I was a youth pastor. A lot younger than I am now, even though I felt old at the time. Now I look back, I was really young. And skinny, too. I was thinner then, and I thought I was fat. But now I look back and I think, you know what? I was really skinny. I wish I was as skinny as I thought I fat I was the time before. Anyway, but when I was younger, I, I, I said this one time, and, and I just cringe even saying it. Well, if I became a senior pastor, I see, okay, let me back this up. I have had friends who have fallen in ministry, close friends, people who I've known that have made major mistakes. And out of that hurt for them, I said this statement. I said, I will never hire a single youth pastor if I ever become a pastor. I said that. Came out of my lips. And here's the problem with that. You want to you know what I've learned since then? I've learned that love and lust are two different things. I've learned that a young man who's going to have integrity in marriage is going to have integrity outside of marriage. Can I get an Amen. I have learned that somebody who's full of the power and presence of God and focused on his visions and dreams in their life is going to be somebody like like Joseph. Even though there's claims made, even though there's things said against him, even though there's temptation, he's going to rise above and God's going to fulfill their call in them, right? This, This guy right here was wrong. You know, we cannot tell people God will use you when... Because God is so much bigger than that. We cannot limit the call of people in our lives. Here's the thing about Joseph. He was tempted by by Potiphar's wife. And he said, how can I do this thing and sin against God? He got it. And I can tell you folks, and I, I remember sitting in a room full of young people one time and I said this. Marriage does not solve the lust issue. And to sit in a room full of boys who are thinking, well, someday I'll get married and I won't have no problems no more. They go, you see all hope fall out of their lives. Marriage doesn't necessarily solve the lust issue. And here's why, because love and lust are two different things. You have your wife whom you love, but you lust other things, then that's not good. That's sin. That's a heart issue. A woman cannot change your heart. 
Now, she can assist. She can help you along the way. She can believe with you, pray for you and all this stuff. But it doesn't fix you. The only one that can fix you is God. So what's my point? Young person or single person in the church, don't limit yourself because you don't have a spouse. It's not a requirement from God for marriage, for ministry. It's not a requirement, but I can tell you what is a requirement. The requirement is that you obey the Lord, be full of the Spirit of God, and that you obey Him and keep your life pure and serve. And what's going to happen is that He's going to fulfill your dreams and visions, possibly before you're even married. You ever been wrong before? Then quit looking at me so judgmental-like. Isn't it good to grow in grace together? In closing... uh, in closing this morning, Colossians chapter 2. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there and look at it. If you, especially if you are a single person, if you are a widow, a divorcee, uh, or if you're just single, whether it be young, middle-aged, old, whatever, it doesn't matter. I want you to, everybody needs to look at this, but especially our singles today. I want you to look at this passage and I want you to grasp it, okay? Because there's something really powerful hidden right here in Colossians chapter 2. Verses 9 and 10 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. You know what I like about fullness? Fullness means there is no more need or want. You're full. When somebody is full, you ever been so full on Thanksgiving that the pumpkin pie looked really good and you shouldn't eat it and they offer it to you and you're like, you know, I just can't. I don't, I am so full, I don't want anything. That's eating. But oh, what a glorious thing to be there in spirit. In peace, in love, in joy, in patience, in all of the fruit of the Spirit, goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control, in my life, the fullness of it. I'll give you a secret, single people in the room, just a little secret. Some of you already know this because you've been married. Some of you are widows and widowers. I get that. But especially to our young young, uh, adults who are single. Fullness does not come by another human being. You ever hear the statement of, you complete me? It's a bunch of nonsense. It's a bunch of baloney. I I may say something like that about my wife in an emotional moment because I love her so much, but honestly, I have to be completed by Christ. I have to be full of Christ. I have to, young person, you want to prepare yourself for marriage if you have a desire to be married someday, then then allow yourself not to be consumed and desperate to find the one. Be desperate to find Christ. Seek first His kingdom and righteousness and all these other things which equals fullness will be added unto you. Allow yourself to be full here first. Now, we, did you ever watch that stupid show, Say Yes to the Dress? Anybody ever seen that nonsense? I watched it too long yesterday. 
doing some other things and it was just on. I'm like, what in the world? There was this beautiful lady on there. I can still picture her face. Beautiful, blonde-headed lady. Really pretty girl. And she was weeping in every dress she put on because she could only see that she was fat, that she was undesirable, and that nobody would love her that way. And all these people are coming around and saying, oh, you are, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. And I looked at April and I said, I don't know who she's marrying, but he better be a very patient, loving, giving man. You say, why? Because when we, we, we value ourselves and place value on ourselves based on what other people think and based off of the picture of what the world says we should look like, act like, or anything else, we're always going to come up empty. And the only way to be full and overjoyed is to find the presence of God and to be overflowing with Jesus. To our widows in the room, I understand your loss or your widower, the loss of your spouse is a painful thing and it'll cause desperation because now you've got to do things that you didn't do before. And so it's easy to worry about stuff. My prayer is that God sends somebody into your life, a neighbor, a friend, a family member, whatever it may be to help you in those things. But most importantly is seek God. Don't cry alone. And I know, I know that there's this part of grieving, but don't just ask why the husband or the wife was taken. Ask God to fill you with himself and complete you and, and make you full enough to move forward. He will. He will. And to the divorcee who's gone through it all, man, I, I, I cry for you. I weep for you. Don't just worry about the loss. Find out what he's doing today and tomorrow and allow him to fill you with the fullness of his grace and his mercy. Because it's easy to hold on to this. How many have been hurt in life? Not just in a marriage, hurt. And it's hard to move past it. There's not much of a deeper hurt than a divorce. Maybe a death and a divorce is a lot like a death in some ways. It's painful. But God wants to heal your soul and He wants to make you full again. There's no sense in us looking in the mirror and seeing something different and saying, I'm horrible. Nobody loves me the way I am. I can tell you this. Married person, single person, everybody alike, the Lord loves you. He sees you as you are and you are valuable in His sight. He hears your cries. He sees you and He loves you. Just the way you are. And there's mercy and there's grace and there's hope and there is a future and this, His hand is on your life. And most importantly, and we'll talk more about this in the weeks to come, you are valuable here. You are valuable here. And we love you. Folks, I have, I, over the years of ministry, I have met many young people who graduate, get out of high school, and move on in life, and they get into their early to mid-20s, and they, something happens, they get scared. And they start thinking to themselves, I'm washed up, nobody wants me. I'm no longer at the school. I don't, I don't see all these girls all day long every day like I used to. Uh, the, the pool's getting smaller. All my friends are getting married and having kids and I'm just stuck here. God, what's the matter with me? Nobody likes me. Nobody loves me. Do you know how many times I have had young people, young men and young women in my office facing a depression because they think that they're not lovable? They're in their early 20s. 
Don't do that, child of God. Seek his kingdom first. Seek his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. Be like Joseph. Find out what God wants you to do and do that. And you will find, if you desire a spouse, he'll bring one through your passion of ministry rather than your desperate window hunting. Don't window shop for spouses. Can I get an amen for that one? Place yourself in the stream and the river of the passion of God to do what His will and to serve Him. And in that, in that flow, uh, rivers come together. Don't they? Throw yourself into the flow of God and allow Him to minister to you. He'll meet your need. Let's pray again. Father, we pray for our young people. But what I just spoke over them, they would do. They wouldn't give up. They wouldn't get worried and feel like the pressure of the world that they have to have somebody with them this instant. God, I pray for integrity in their lives. I pray for strength in their lives. I pray, God, that they would find a passion and a service for you. Lord, for those who have just chosen the single path, whether it's their choice or not, God, I pray that you would bless them and give them vision for ministry, empower them, and overflow in their lives, God, for strength. And Lord, that you would use them and you would bless them and you would overflow in their lives. Father, I thank you today for your spirit, your presence here. Lord, I know that you're moving and I know your ministry. And we offer these seeds that have been planted today to, this, to good soil. It's going to sprout and it's going to bear much fruit. We thank you, Lord, and praise you in Jesus' holy, precious name. Amen. Amen.